Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host of the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos-Duffy. John, it's great to be back at the kitchen table. Today, we have a very interesting guest because this week is the anniversary of Ronald Reagan's Evil Empire speech. And I know you are a big Ronald Reagan fan, so am I. That speech did so much to draw into contrast freedom, communism, liberty, oppression. Bold leadership. He wanted to draw bright lines between freedom and suppression. We still remember the evil empire and that evil empire um, still exists. That oppression still exists and nowhere more, um, by the way, than in North Korea. And today we thought it'd be really appropriate to bring in a guest. Um, She's part of a really interesting organization called the Dissident Project, which we're going to talk about because it's a free service that anyone can bring these speakers, young people who have lived through these tyrannical um, systems of government and have made it over to America. And now they're telling their stories. One of them is Grace Jo. She's a refugee who escaped North Korea. And we just thought it'd be really enlightening to hear her story. Uh, Grace, welcome to the kitchen table. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Sean and Rachel. It's great to meet you here over the phone. Um, it's my pleasure to um, participate in this uh, Fox News podcast. Uh, my name is Grace, and I came from North Korea. Great. So let's let's talk about what life was like for you, because you were born in North Korea. What was it like as a child growing up there? Well, in the first few years from 1994, uh, well, I was born in 1991. So 1991 to 1994, uh, life started to get challenged for North Korean people. And after 1994, our family started to, uh, like starving from 1996. So I was three and a half years old and four years old. And my first memory, actually, most of them, uh, is at six years old. And I remember about 10 days straight, we were drinking cold water only because we didn't have any food to eat. And we were eating tree barks, wild vegetables, grass. Um, and for it, it, 
those kind of lifestyle get longer than two years. And then our body was kind of uh, suffering from malnutrition. So our body was very weak and we didn't have any uh, food or uh, like nutrition food to consume. So it was very difficult time period for us. So Grace, in, uh, who who all was in the family? Who was all you know going through this experience with you at that time? Yes, after I was born, I had uh, eight family members in my family. I had my grandmother, father, mother, oldest sister. My oldest brother died when he was six years old, and I had a one more older sister, me, and two younger brothers. Uh, but unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, they all passed away. And now I have my mother and one of my older sisters live in the United States. So, and, and, and those, the, the ones who passed away, they passed away from starvation or from other circumstances? Uh, the siblings? Yes. Uh, many of them, uh, passed away in different ways, but, uh, my grandmother and my two younger brothers, they all passed away by starvation. And my father, he passed away, uh, because he wanted to bring the food from China from his distant relatives. And he tried that for three times. And at the uh, last time he got discovered by the government and then the government take, take him away from us and he never uh, returned it to us. And we never saw his body as well. Wow. Oh, it's, so, so I, I, it's, it's so like as parents ourselves, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I think about you as children going through these, these difficulties, but the burden on your parents to, you know, want to feed you and the risk that your father took to try and feed you and then ultimately getting caught by the North Korean government. So can you give us a little, our, some, some of our listeners, a little background into North Korea, into why families were starving and why there was no, what was happening in the government, um, that there was no support and, and, and no resources. Sure. So I often hear from my mom that uh, when she was young, we had a lot of food to eat and uh, the government gave us a lot of uh, like a peach or uh, seafood uh, monthly basis. So they had enough of food for that time, but they didn't have enough clothes and shoes to wear because they, there's nothing they can buy. That's the challenge for her timeline. But after 1994, which is the Kim Il-sung died that year and Kim Jong-il took power at that that year. And after that, the rations completely stopped for those regular uh, employees for the small factories and miners um, and the little uh, companies. But only those rations given to the military groups and high officials and the elites groups at the time. And after several years... Well, so those connected to the government right. were able to get the resources because there were less resources. So that's where they were going Right. To. So from 1994, they started to cut down the resources to those people. And around 1996, almost all the people from the countryside, they were barely getting the um, rations. And I remember I only got once in my uh, six years old um year that was Kim Il-sung's birthday and the government will give us two bags of uh, snacks it includes some cookies and candies 
and those little children under 18 will receive those two bags of gifts. And then we have to hold that and stand in front of the uh, portraits of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. And we have to bow to them and say, well, thank you for giving us this great gift. Um, so that was the kind of a brainwash thing. And uh, we have to staring it for a week before we open the box. But um, that was the one time we received something from the government. Other than that, we did not receive anything. So we had to find a way to survive by our own. So we have to, um, every morning, we have to go to the mountain, collect some wild vegetables and tree barks and um, some type of roots that we can eat. So to, to that point, if you look at how the economy works and was, were there a lot of farms in North Korea where people growing their own food and maybe in a community, if, if one person has, you know, chickens, another person, you know, grew some crops and they, there was there trading that happened or was there no real agriculture? Sure. So North Korea, comparing to other countries, it has a lot of mountains, but they still have some uh, farms uh, going on at the time. However, all those uh, farms are belong to the government because when the Kim Il-sung taken power, the North Korea um, got independent and become the communist country and the government became the whole full power. So all the belongings in society is belong to the government. So even though we have running the farms and even though we are growing a lot of uh, corns and uh, corps, at the end of the fall season, we all have to return those um, collections to the government. And then the government will take some portions out of it and give to those farmers. So basically, even though we are growing and work so hard for the whole season, we are not be able to get the food enough of food for the families. Right. The government... Uh, reappropriated all the land from all the private uh, farmers and and took over. What was your dad's job? My father's original job was um, uh, he worked in a Musan city. Uh, there's a big factory that uh, actually uh, mines out the metal from uh, extracted metals from the stone. So there's a one uh, big factory there. I mean, the mine work, uh, he worked at there, but uh, his um, uh, raised father uh, suggested him to go to the countryside. That's why we all moved to the countryside. And after he moved to the countryside, he was uh, cutting the woods and then uh, make a nice thin wood trunk and then ex export them to the city. And the government will take that and um, trade it with China. Um, so he was working for the, was it called the wood uh, forest work? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the woodwork forestry, that kind of the cutting wood and, and it would be used for export to China. So let's let's start to talk about your escape. No, I would, can I, oh, just, yeah, sure, before sure, we sure. go there. So if you if you look at the people in North Korea and if there was truly an election, would the people choose mm. communism or would they choose some other form of government? Do Did they like the, the regime they were living under or... Do they want something different? So my grandmother's age, they lived in different decades. They experienced some uh, Japanese colonization and some of the freedom lifestyle. So they might have some different opinions about choose, choosing the regime style. However, current um, generation, we were brainwashed since we were like a, about four or five years old since when we start to speak. So we only know about North Korean regime and the education system in North Korea are teaching that North Korea 
is the best country over the world, and South Korea is a poor. America is the biggest enemy, and we are proud of ourselves. And all those great things that we taught、uh, since in school. So we barely know about the outside of the world. However, the younger generation after 1990s,、uh, whoever born in 1990s, they are able to learn about the outside of the world through those Korean dramas or Korean pop songs. Of course, those are illegal activities, but they will find a way to watch those because they, those are not be able to find in North Korea. So now, there's many people they kind of know about the world outside of North Korea. However, they have not、uh, choice in North Korea. So, if I want to make a choice,、um, then I have to escape my country, and then that's dangerous road. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, back in the '80s, there were also a few television shows that made their way into the Eastern Bloc countries, and people were like, "Oh, wait, people live like that."、Um, and it's interesting how how culture, popular culture, and shows. Can give people a window into the world that、um, their government's trying to hide them. So what you're telling us is that indoctrination works. It worked somewhat. That that they, you know, you said those who had experienced North Korea before communism had, you know, if, as Sean had said, if you had been put the vote to them, they would not have voted for it. But but those who were sort of in the indoctrinated school system. Didn't know anything else, and were believing some of the government lies. Yes, so the brainwash was very powerful because、um, the, even the foreigners, when they visit to North Korea and several times, and they come back, and I met some of those、um, people at the events, but they also saying that oh, North Korea region was great. I mean, how those brainwash worked in Pyongyang when they visit there. So、um, it, the North Korean region. Uh, regime, they are smart and they are studying examples from other countries like uh, uh, German, East Germany, and South Germany was the great example. Soviet Union was the great example. So they are learning example and they are tilting the information, upgrading their lecture systems, and then they are brainwashing their people. So、uh, it's very tricky,、um, but people they trying to find a way to survive in North Korea. They try so hard,、uh, like my parents, but at the end, still there's no way we can survive in our country. That's why we are escaping to other third countries. I, I don't want to get to that in a second. I find it interesting that in North Korea, they're trying to teach their people to love their、yes. country, but in America, we're trying to teach our children to hate our country, which is just a, a, a interesting note. But does are there is there a Second Amendment? In North Korea, can people own firearms? So, if a group of people said, "I want to push back. I want to fight back against a tyrannical government. I have a means to do that." Can you own a, a personal firearm in North no. Korea? No. If you did something、no. that's against the law, which is the Supreme Law or the Fifteenth、uh, Principles of North Korean Law,、uh, which is similar to the Ten、uh, Commandment from Bible. Uh, because Ten Commandment Bible, we we were saying that、um, the God is the supreme God, and we cannot have other God than、um, our God, right? So in North Korea, we also have that similar、uh, principle that instead of Kim Il Sung and Kim Jong Il, the supreme law, we cannot、uh, have other、uh, religion or the other、uh, group of parties that we have to follow. So. 
all these small rules we have to follow. But if one of them are against, which is like escaped our country without the passport or uh, without the legal uh, paperwork, then we will go to the prison. And in the third country, for example, in China, if we received or watched a foreign uh, broadcast or news, then we will consider as political prison camp. If we met the foreigners or went to the church, then also consider as political prison camps. So many categories. It's in Western world is very common and it's freedom to do it. But in North Korea, it's the big serious crime category. So many people, they go to the mm. political prison camps and they will live forever in there until they die. What do you know about what happens inside those political prison camps? It sounds pretty miserable outside of the camps. I can't imagine how much worse it is inside. Sure. So I met a few ladies who actually served five years in the political prison camp. They released and they were trying to uh, escape again. And they got caught again in China. And we stayed in the same prison cell for about 13 months in China. Uh, they share the stories every day their life. And they said in the morning, they have to wake up, they line up and they will march to the work area. Many people, they will sign to different workforces and they will uh, work at the uh, forest or to the farm. Even you work at the farm is a little bit lucky because you can collect something to eat. But if you work at the forest or cutting wood on the mountain, it's hard and it's very dangerous. So Every day they have to work so hard and only two meals are given, but those meals are very small portion. So most of the prisoners in the political prison camp, they, uh, they become so skinny after six months or eight months hard labor. And it's harder to uh, survive more than three years in the uh, political prison cell because the work is so difficult. So if, if someone escapes North Korea and gets into China... Are the Chinese actually capturing North Koreans and sending them back to yes, North so Korea? Yes, so Chinese government and North Korean government, they kind of uh, like a, a close relationship with each other. So Chinese government never mm -hmm. recognized North Koreans as refugees. So they formed a special group. Uh, it's undercover officers. And they will um, travel in the train stations and inside of a train, they will search for North Koreans. And when they find out Suspicious, uh, suspicious uh, people, then they will reach to them and check their IDs. And if, as North Koreans, we don't have IDs to prove, so if we say we don't have it, then they will take us to the um, uh, local uh, officer office and some do do some interview. And if it's confirmed, then they will send us back to North Korea. Uh. And then, the, and then there will be punishment for you when you come back, obviously. Um, for having yes, escaped. so once we step into our land um, through those uh, officers, there's a one officer will come us come to us and pick us up. And the, the first words they were saying that oh, we cannot raise our head 45 degree up, so we should, we only can see their feet, not their face. So even though we stay in the prison for a whole year, we don't know whose face it is. 
Um, and then the words they were saying that, oh, from this moment, you should not think you are a human being. You should think that you are the animals and whatever teachers tells you to do, you have to obey 100%. That's the first word we hear after we uh, land our own homeland. Um, of course, from the station, we will walk to the uh, prison cell. Uh, we call it Boibu. It's like a CIA level in the U.S. And we will there, uh, we will stay there about a month or two months until the officers find out whether it's regular case or political prison camp case. Um, so once they sort it out, we will send it to the second level government. And then at the end, if it's a regular case, we will serve at least six months labor camp and then we will get released. But if not, then we will imp like uh, transferred to the political prison camp directly from there. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. So let's let's talk about how people do escape because the, the way I've, what I've heard is, that somehow you have to get into China and get connected with the Christian group. I, I don't have all the details. I'm, I'm so fascinated by how one um, gets as lucky as you to to to, to find sure. their way out. So my family actually, uh, because my mom and my dad, they went to China three times before we all got um, caught in North Korea. So they kind of knew about the path to China. And after my father passed away, my mom remembered that path and she carried me on her backpack um, and she was holding my sister's hand. And we walked for three days um uh, no, four days and three nights to get to the riverside from our house. And we walked unpaved roads, mountains. Uh, we have to make our way to get there. Um, and once we reached to the river, it was called the Tumor River. That's border between China and North Korea. And the river was um, uh, a little bit wide, but not very wide. So the whole tr trip took about 45 minutes for us to cross the river. And you were how you were how uh, the first time Grace? I was six years and total uh, I escaped three times. So that was in okay. 1998, July 18th. That was a summertime and we crossed around 12 p.m. noon. It was a bright day. Um, water uh, level reached to my mom's hip, my sister's chest, and I was at my mom's back. Uh, so I was watching under the water, but it, uh, it, it was very challenging and it was a uh, very like a uh, uh, fearful moment for us to cross the river. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 
And you, so you said you did it three times. Were you, you were, so you were caught the first yes. two times? Yes. So that was first time. And after, uh, after three years later, I got caught and I was 12 years old at the time. And we sent her back, uh, to North Korea from Dandong, China. Um, we got, we were trying to go to South Korea to find a freedom because for those years, we realized that we cannot find the freedom in China. So we're hoping to go to South mm. Korea and get the protection. But on the road, uh, we were not lucky enough. So we all got caught and 12 people in our group all got caught together. We sent back to North Korea and we stayed in the prison for a month. And then I sent it to the orphanage shelter. So I was transferring from orphanage shelter from city to city until I get to my hometown. And of course, I skipped in the middle and I went to different city and finally went to my hometown and waiting for my mom and my sister to get released from the prison. But um, it was a long journey. However, um, at that time when we escaped, my mom bribed one of the um, soldier who guards the border and we were able to cross the river at night. It was winter time, so we had to walk the ice. Oh my God, when the ice cracking, it was... It was oh, really um, like touching our nerves. Um, it, it was very intimidating moments. And this was the last. No, time actually, that, that was my crossed. second this, time. And right. that's the second time. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, so then you, you at, at this point yes, you're around twelve. You're around twelve. You get into China. How long do you last in China before you're caught um, again? And I got caught again in 14 years old. Uh, that was 2005. Okay, yeah. so you were there two years. And okay, and and while you're in China, how are you surviving in China in terms of work and uh, your parent, your mother, and and whatnot? How how are you eating there? How are yeah, you surviving? Yeah, so I really love all the people, even though from North Korea or China but I hate their system, the government systems. So after we come to China, mm -hmm. of course, we uh, met some good people um, around the village and they fed us first and then they gave us clothes to change. So we did get help from those Chinese citizens a lot. That's how we can survive. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So tell us what the final time, the third time, Tell us your journey and then how yeah, you got so to the Yeah, so the States. final time when we got caught, the reason we got caught was uh, we saw a North Korean Human Rights Act passed in 2004. And the newspaper, uh, well, one of the missionaries who helped North Koreans at the time and our family, he brought a Korean newspaper from Seattle, Washington. And that newspaper said that the George W. Bush signed North Korean Human Rights Act, which allowing us to legally enter the United States as refugees. And that that gave us a big help, a big hope, and my mom decided to uh, come to America instead of South Korea. So we decided to stay in China a little longer than other group of people, and then uh, we were helping the missionary to rescue rest of North Korean defectors from China to South Korea. And we uh, wanted to help him um, because the broker fee was not enough. And we had an idea that my sister will follow with the broker with the first group to go to Inner Mongolia. My sister, my mom and I will stay in Qingdao, China and help those defectors come to our house, rest a little bit, get the new ticket and go to the Inner Mongolia. So we kind of work as a team at the time, but unfortunately only one group successed um, and they are living in South Korea right now but the rest of the group they didn't follow the instruction correctly so they knocked the door at the border um, security area that's how they got caught they reported all of us we all got caught at our places 
And so we were in、mm. the prison for 13 months in China, and we sent back to North Korea. And at the time,、um, the pastor John Yoon, after he repatriated to the United States, he asked a lot of believers group raised、um, 10,000 US dollars,、um, and he bribed six officials from North Korea. And rescued our family from the、um, political prison ca- case to turned to regular case. We got released, went to our hometown, and we managed、um, another bribing with a soldier. And we crossed to Tuma River、um, at night. It was cold, cold river and pitch dark, and we couldn't even breathe hard.、Um, and that time, I was. All three of us were holding our hands and、uh, holding our clothes and、uh, walking in the water,、um, but the, almost the water、uh, reached to my mouth area, so I have to、uh, tiptoe myself and be able to、um, oh. uh, not drink the river water. But after we get to the China side, it's not even safe either because that was the cross border area with camera installed in China side, so we have to be very. Very careful, and we had to find a way to get to the broker who are waiting、um, us at the China side. And then once you meet with the broker, then what happens? You get they they arrange for what? How do you get to the states? Sure. From China? So it was a long journey, but if I summarize a little bit, once we met the broker,、uh, they、sure. have a car, so we will get into the car. We drove for two and a half hours, get to city, and then、uh, they already arranged the housing for us to hide. So we were hiding in the house.、Uh, we wouldn't go out shopping or anything. So we would just stay in the apartment. And then、um, one day, about two months later, we were hiding in the apartment, and the broker ran to our house and told us that he received a phone call from North Korea broker, and he said that those six officials who got paid, they had arguments themselves and reported each other, and they all got trouble in North Korea, and they are looking for our family. So as soon as possible, we cannot stay in the border side; we have to go somewhere deeper and run away. Uh, as far as possible, that's what the broker told the, the pastor in China. So、sure. we were so scared. And then next day, we drove another van,、um, and then we drove more than fifteen hours straight to get to the base in China. And at the time, our stories and、um, our document was already submitted to UN at the time, and UN already had our names. So we contacted the pastor. Pastor called the UN office, and then th- they had a communication, and we finally. Got protected under the UNHCR office in Beijing, China, and then you had a flight. Yeah, so at the UN's protection, we had one apartment.、Uh, about more than twenty North Korean defectors were there at the time, and after fifteen months later, we finally got the news that、uh, we got the document and we can fly to. America. So that was March twenty first, two thousand eight, and we were、uh, flying directly from China to USA, and we stopped at Tokyo, China, for two and two and a half hours for transportation. And and you land. So you're how old by at the way? That at that time, I was sixteen and a half years old. Well, I mean, just I, if, it feels like you lived like twenty lives、um, uh, until you were sixteen. It's just an incredible story. And you land where? It was in the a、United、Chicago、States. International Airport. It was a huge, and we were doing fingerprints and taking pictures and all the legal documents. And we stayed in a Chicago air,、uh, hotel for one night. And the next day, we took a, another flight to Seattle, Washington, which was our first residential state. 
So when you got to the States, what was your, and obviously you lived in China for some time. What was your view when you, when you oh, got to the States? Oh, actually, it was a funny story. When we, uh, before I landed to Seattle, Seattle is like a forest state, right? So on a plane, when we see it, everything is a tree and green and we barely see the houses. So ourselves, we were talking, oh, there's all the trees just like my hometown uh, country. Is the U.S. going to send <laughs> us to the countryside because we came from North Korea? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was surprising because at the airport, after we landed, it was a big city, beautiful. Um, a lot of uh, city life is uh, developed there. So it was a shocking moment. And the pastor, actually, uh, he was living there and he ran to us with about almost 10 uh, uh, people holding with the cameras. So we, we don't even know what's going on, but it was a very excited moment. Wow. So what is your, you know, you get into, you get to Seattle. How do you get used to being in America? How do they acclimate you? And what are your impressions of just life in well, America? Well, basically, until I was 17 years old that year, I did not have any education in China because we were hiding. Um, so I felt sure. like my brain was like it's a blank page. And after I came to America, I was just mm. drawing uh, or drawing or writing on the blank page. So every single step was new to us, even the writing check or paying the phone bill. Um, paying the rent, everything was new to us. So we have to learn step by step from the uh, church members, or we have to find a way to learn it. And those learning process took, uh, I think for me, it took about six years. And um, uh, after 10 years later, I can feel like, oh, I know what the uh, American system runs and I know what to do. But yeah. realizing the freedom, I think it took about two years. So when you look at your experience in North Korea, and then now you've been here for 15 years, any lessons that we should learn, any warning signs that you see today in the U.S. from what you experienced well, in North Korea? Well, I just Korea? feel like my life in the U.S. is so blessed. Um, everywhere I go or whatever I do, even though I'm in college, um, it, it's such a blessing. So I would like to tell the American citizens that I know a lot of challenges going on in the U.S. and a lot of difficulties we are facing every day. However, comparing to my country, it's, it's a wonderful and one of the best country I'm living in right now. So I hope everyone can be more happier uh, and uh, be able to protect this freedom country for the future. Yeah, so you're saying your message, um, it, it, we're, we're, for those viewers just jumping in right now, um, we're speaking with Grace, who is a defector from North Korea. Um, her story is, I mean, the, the escape sounds like a movie um, and it, it, it just riveting. But then you come to the United States and you do you feel that Americans are not as uh, grateful that maybe they need to see what other countries are like. And that's why you're part of this dissident project to let people know what life is like in countries where you don't yes, have freedom. Yes, I feel like a lot of people I met um, during high school or during college and also some other uh, workplaces, I feel like um, we only be able to see the challenges in front of us. 
Um, so we, it, it's easier for us to complain instead of be thankful. Um, but if uh, we compare to the life from North Korea and if we don't have a freedom like American government can give us, it will be totally different. And um, those challenging are not the challenge as according to our life uh, experience. So now you're part of an organization that also helps other North Koreans get out and get to the U.S. and, and resettle, uh, yes. is that right? Um, some of the or other organizations we are involving is um, either we educate them in China or uh, bring them to South Korea and give them new uh, freedom or uh, – give them the messages like God's messages and help them to find their uh, own path. And and then the dissident project itself is one where they take young people like Grace, um, like Daniel Martino, who yep. we had on our podcast before, and they will go out to schools, tell their story of what happened in their country under socialism, under communism. What's your message about communism? To young people, Grace. Well, communism is on a text. It sounds so beautiful, but in reality, is the terrible system we can live in the human being life. Um, well, I don't say the capitalism is the only system I embrace, uh, but like under authoritarian system is horrible life we can live. So, um, I hope the young generation in America or audience from America know that uh, the freedom is very valuable and this is the only thing we can protect for our human being. Um, so please do not fall into that authoritarian system category in the future, no matter what. Yeah, all the Marxism being sold um, as as wonderful in our schools. Yeah. And you're right. When you sell communism or Marxism, it looks beautiful on paper. Socialism. There's, equi there's yeah. equity, there's you know, everyone shares and it's a beautiful system. Um, I don't think when people look <laughs> at history, it's never worked. Um, and it's all, if, if it's going to, in air quotes, work, it's only through an, a, an authoritarian regime that enforces this distribution um, where you don't get to keep the fruits of your labor. Uh, everyone shares and then people start to slide in their work and and, and people starve and you, you experience that yourself. So what does your mom do? So you're here with your mom. Yes. Is it your sister with you too? So it's your mom, your sister, and you. Is that correct? Is that who yes, survived and, and made it over? Yes, out of eight. Oh, it's just so heartbreaking. And what does your mom uh, my and your mom sister is working do full time um, at a, a spa uh, and uh, she learned a new skill and she's enjoying right now. And my sister, she is working as a mm. manager uh, at the... Uh, American Deli. It's a chicken, fried chicken place, and she is enjoying it. And I am mm -hmm. a right. college student at uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, that's such a wonderful place. What do you, and so yes, you're studying I'm design, is that right? Interior design. So hoping one day when the, my country regime falls and the door opens, I can uh, go into North Korea and rebuild the cities. Well, wow. and by the way, it Savannah is. is gorgeous. It is. Yeah. Amazing. And that school is it's so well known for that. So do you think that that is a possibility? Do you think the North Korean regime will? Well, um, will as fall? North Korean defectors, we do see the hope um, the regime might fall one day and it's coming soon uh, because in the history of the Bible, we also see not the 
third generation power maintains and give to the next generation. So we're hoping that. And then also the Kim Jong Un's health was not really good at this point, and the uh, the next inherent uh, leader is not uh, founded yet. So a lot of uh, conflicts in the government side. We we're kind of seeing the hope that something gonna happen in North Korea in the near future. No doubt. Well, listen, Grace, you're. Can still, I ask one yeah. more question before we let you go? How much I, I hear you talk about the Christian, the the Christian pastors who saved you. How much was your Christian faith a part of? So your since journey? I was ten years old, I met two young uh, Korean Chinese pastors in China, and that's how we learned about the Bible from them. And since then, somehow God sent us so great people near us. Protected us from all those dangerous moments, and then when I was 13 years old, I uh, strongly believed His presence. And for, since then, all my decisions, um, all my daily begins will start with um, His guidance. So I would say He was mm. the only uh, friends, parents, and my spiritual father. Absolutely. Wow. Listen, Grace, I, I, it's, it, your story is amazing, and you're one of the lucky ones who was able to get out. And I love your message that be grateful for your freedom. Uh, you're right, because those who come from a place that didn't have freedom uh, know how, how we should uh, be so thankful every day that we have the liberty and freedom in this country. And uh, again, you are an inspiration, and we thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story, Grace. I, I hope people will reach out to the Dissident Project if you think your school, your junior high, your high school, your elementary school can benefit from hearing the real-life stories of people who have lived under these evil empires, um, uh, whether it's in the Eastern Bloc countries, um, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea. People have escaped and understand um, what it's like um, to live under those systems of government and and have an appreciation for the kind of freedom we have here. Um, and also thank you, Grace, for the reminder that you gave us that when you went to China, it's the system that's evil. The people were good and they helped you escape. And that's such an important, yes. um, such an important message for us to remember um, as we um, as we all pray for an end to um, communism, socialism, and oppression. Grace, you are an inspiration. Thank you for joining us. Encourage people to look up, again, the Dissident Project online, and you can bring Grace and others into your schools to help um, educate young people. Thank Grace, you so much. God Thank bless you. you. Wait right there. We'll have more of this conversation next. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. 
So listen, I think she is a fascinating guest. And I I think so many people don't hear the stories. For me, I think back to the movies I saw about East Germans trying to come across the wall um, and get into West Germany. But we kind of think that time is dead since, um, you know, the fall of the old Soviet Union. But this this um, this yearning for freedom and escaping communism still exists today, and uh, as evidenced by you know Grace telling her story. And by the way, as we started off, I was talking about the Brandenburg speech and tear down this wall. This is the evil empire speech yeah. uh, from Ronald Reagan. They're all Trust. good, they're, Sean. They're all, no worries, good, no worries. They're all good. They all melt together for me sometimes. You know, Sean, it's it's so great that you brought up that point because what people are willing to do to seek for freedom. You know, Ronald Reagan talked so much about how. We have this yearning for freedom in our heart. We're built for freedom and what we'll do. Think about this mother with a six-year-old on her back going through this river, knowing that her own husband was starved to death in a political prison, um, that she she took this risk, hiding out in, in, in apartments in, in places she didn't know in China, hoping she won't get turned in, hoping that the bribe even works with the guards. I mean, all of this is so incredible. There are other, <coughs> other dissidents stories from North Korea, Sean, that I've heard of where, you know, the mother and daughter come across and the only way to survive is to go into the sex trade and hope they can raise enough money to bribe someone to get out of, out of China. Um, I mean, these stories are harrowing, but they speak to the human spirit. Um, she's so lucky they fell into the hands of these. God bless these Christians um, in China who are, are being oppressed themselves and right. yet are extending a hand to their brothers and sisters in North Korea and helping them escape. So uh, what, what, through the story, I think of two different things. And the first is that we, we had a radical group and it goes back, you know, over a hundred years of, of socialists, people who believed in communism, and they were unrelenting. And they have worked for a hundred years to infiltrate institutions, and they have effectively infiltrated almost every institution in America. And now today, we have a government that has embraced this idea of socialism, some of these Marxist ideas, and they now teach our kids the very concepts that are an affront to freedom. And as Grace said, we should hold on to it. We should be grateful for it. Yeah. But here we are undermining it. In from as, as soon as you go to school in kindergarten, all the way through the university system, medical schools, and law schools, um, and it's a it shows a lack of understanding of how beautiful freedom is and how tyrannical and horrible socialism and communism is. That's my first thought. My second is again, I bring this up a lot. But the Second Amendment was not about deer hunting. The Second Amendment was... I noticed you asked her that right away. I love that. Because our founders understood that the Second Amendment was about having a balance from a government that could become tyrannical and that the people have the ability to fight back. And I'm not, again, advocating insurrections... But they understood that. And you, you'll, you'll, again, whether it's the old Soviet Union, whether it's North Korea, China, Cuba, Venezuela... They take away people's firearms, and that's the way you're able to suppress people and make sure that they are subject to the rule of their government, as opposed to the government being subject to the vote of the people. Right. Um, and right, they take again, if the, if if the farmers had in North Korea had arms, they wouldn't be the government wouldn't be able to as easily 
appropriate their lands, well, take you, their lands. If you can't and that eat, was the beginning of, if you yeah. can't eat, you're going to pick up a firearm and go, listen, I, I, I'm not going to live under this system. My family is starving. You'll do extreme things to fight exactly. for your family. And again, who wants to take away your firearm? Look at, I mean, all the ideas that the left pushes, in addition to taking away my firearm, I'm like, this is everything that's wrong with every society that I don't want to become. Right. And so preserving and protecting the Second Amendment, um, again, I, again I just, I, it's, it's so important for, for a democracy. And I've, I look at our founders, and they were so brilliant in how they set up our founding document, even the ability to have free speech, to, to, to push back against your government, to talk about ideas that you don't agree with, whether it's, again, this, the COVID example was so important to go, we should have a debate. We should have dissent. Mm. The government shouldn't work to silence dissenting voices online, like what they did with uh, the Great Barrington Declaration and those scientists that were, that the government pushed to silence Or those doctors on in social. California, the, one, the first ones who came out are like, first two, yeah. yeah, those first two that they were, you know, banned off of YouTube. You're right. They, the first thing they, you know, they, they, they want to take away your guns. They want to take away debate. This is how authoritarianism creeps they're attacking, in. They're attacking religion. And yeah. what you'll notice, it happens very slowly. They creep, they creep. And when it, it happens slowly, then it happens really fast. Yeah. Um, and it moves very quickly. And it's hard to regain what you used to have if you let small incursions happen on your freedom. And yeah. I think we're at a critical point right now um, to preserve the ideas of the founders, the ideas that made this country so great. Um, and I, sometimes I get depressed about the future because we're not teaching these great principles to our kids. Right. Which is why they want to take over the schools and why it's so important that you see, um, you know, governors like Ron DeSantis saying, I'm not just going to take this wokeness out of my elementary, junior high and high schools, but I'm going to take on the public universities, the ones that the taxpayers pay for. And I'm going to get rid of these DEI programs, which are Trojan horses for all this kinds of, kind of indoctrination. Um, that is the kind of momentum that needs to happen on the side of freedom or else we're going to lose this country. Because Ron DeSantis understands that it's, this is a political ideology that uh, the left is using taxpayer money to foment in the kind of, I mean, the, the blank pages, little like she kids. talked about that, how she was sort of, she blank got page. to the States, she was a blank page and she was trying to learn everything. Can, that's what me, our can, kids are. They're blank pages. They're little pieces of clay. Teach them math. Do you want to give them to Randy Weingarten? No. <laughs> or do you want to do this yourself? I didn't want to follow up uh, on this question for her either. She said, you know, she obviously does not like communism, authoritarianism, but she also said that capital capitalism isn't the only way. I, we um, should have followed up on and that with her. Listen, I'm sorry. She's wrong. Grace is wrong on that. Capitalism is the only it's way. It's not perfect, but I don't know any other and, system. But capitalism with morality, capitalism with faith. Thank you. Good people in a capitalist society, um, it flourishes. Now, if you have people that aren't good, that aren't generous, that aren't kind, that aren't caring, uh, capitalism will struggle. But in this country, we've had good, faithful, moral people with values and capitalism has thrived. But that is why people are losing faith in, in, in capitalism, Sean, and, and losing hope in capitalism. Why many young people, including myself, I have problems with some aspects of ca capitalism because it has at this moment in our history been divorced from morality. Our country is no longer, um, I mean, if you think about it, they want us to, pra you know, the, the idea of Christianity is sort of something they want us to, to, to do in private. They, they want to kick us out of the public square. If you don't have a moral, ethical society and religion 
as even Mayor Eric Adams is now admitting is a force for helping to form morality. If you don't have morality, capitalism devolves into greed and and into something you don't want. And so you have to have both. And that is the struggle. And I'm sure that if we had Grace back, that is probably what she would talk about. And just the case in point on that, look at the NBA. The NBA is a is a listen is, is capitalism, right? They're 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 selling sports to the American people, but they're willing and the without, world without morality to say we'll go partner with China and embrace the Chinese idea um, that have Uyghurs in concentration camps, yes. and we'll defend them more than we'll defend the American idea. You'll have an American company. You'll have Apple Apple that'll go over to China, bring American jobs, American technology to China, empower China. And by the way, take the jobs away from the American people and revenue from the American government. And I think at a, at a different time in American history, companies would say, you know what? I have, a, I have an obligation to my own people, to my own country. I'm a patriot and I'm a good neighbor. Yeah. I want to do all I can to keep these jobs in my community, in my country, um, and sell this end product, to, not just to Americans, but to people around the world. But when you divorce yourself from morality, you see people business leaders just doing what is best for them. Yeah. And that's padding their pockets, making as much money as they can, the consequences be damned. And it's shameful, um, which is why to the point, which we got off on a little side tangent there, capitalism does work with morality. I think Ronald Reagan understood that. And, and to, the, to, to go back to our start, I mean, to call, to call the Soviet Union an evil empire. Well, I, ju- I think what, what, what we've all learned, and I think COVID has probably brought it into perfect um, focus for so many people is I, and I've told you this before, Sean, I don't want to live by lies. And, you know, I'm not going to, the lie ends like it will not go through me. You can say that a man is a woman and a woman can be a man, but I, you can say that, but it's not going to come through me. I'm not going to perpetuate that lie. I'm not going to perpetuate, um, all the lies about our country, um, that somehow our country is systemically racist, when we know that even in the last 50 years, um, there has been tremendous advancements in, in um, equality and, and tolerance and so forth. So I, I'm just tired of the lies. Um, and this is a podcast that will not... Perpetuate lies. We won't perpetuate lies. I'm glad we brought on uh, Grace, um, by the Joe. Way, I, I love that when you came and talked about the lie will not... How do you stop it? The lie won't pass through me. And so what can we all do is say in our own lives, we won't let that lie pass through my mouth. Right. I'm not going to repeat the lie for whatever social pressure I might get. I might not, I might not say anything, but I won't repeat that lie. You're right. Yeah. Men cannot be women. Just, it can't, it's impossible. You can, you can dress as a woman. You can yeah. pretend to be a woman, but God made you as a man or vice versa. God or made the you best as a outcome woman. for a child. And it, by the way, all the data proves it, um, you know, the best protection against poverty and and a life in prison um and and drug abuse and for good grades is a married mother and father you know for that child to grow up in with a married mother and father in one home by the way you'll be richer too yeah yeah so exactly so that is i mean there, there are all kinds of things that our society wants us to not say because it's not politically correct to say uh but i think that's the challenge that we all have and and we realize we still have that freedom um, there's a social pressure, uh, but if we all fight back against these lies, if we all refuse to buy into this woke uh, paradigm that they want us to live in, um, we can escape it. 
Um, or we can, or, or we cannot, and we end up in, in a place that feels a lot more like North Korea. And so, we can teach our kids. Listen, I, I'm I'm grateful for Grace as too uh, for Grace coming on our, our podcast as well. You've found Grace, which was wonderful. Yeah, and, and I think it's. Always I'm a big important. fan of that project. I'm a huge fan of that project because I think that you know the kids are getting all kinds of messages in schools and through the social media about what communism is, about you know how great socialism is. We have AOC and Bernie Sanders out and out and proud socialists and. You know, it isn't until you start to hear um, the stories of people who have escaped socialism, the stories of people who have lived under communism, um, that then you start to understand it, especially for children. So I think important. stories are powerful. They so are. anyway, Grace, thank you for joining us. Check out The Dissident Project if you've enjoyed the conversation. We did too. Definitely let us know. Subscribe, rate, review this podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. You can also listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Subscribe. Please do subscribe. Subscribe button. It's easy. All right. Till next time. Thanks for joining us at the kitchen table. Bye, everybody. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.